Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. On today's program, John will be continuing his series on the book of Revelation with his message, The Dragon, the Beast, and the False Prophet. Before we get into the sermon today, I want to just say thank you for for your interest and for your patience as we're studying through the period of great tribulation in the book of Revelation. I know this is not the easiest passage of Scripture to study. Uh, It's not the easiest part of the Bible to preach, but it is part of the Bible, and we're supposed to preach it all. If you believe that, say amen. And so that's what we're doing. We're going chapter by chapter, section by section through this book. Now, if you'll open your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 13, we have come now to the part of the Scripture where we learn in great detail about the Antichrist. Keep in mind, during the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to emerge on the stage of human history, and he is going to be the one who promises peace and prosperity and good things will happen to you, he will say, if you will follow me. And he's going to get quite a following going after him during the tribulation. Now, in Revelation chapter 13, we have come now to the middle of the tribulation. We're three and a half years into the seven-year period, and the Antichrist now reveals his true nature. In other words, at the beginning of the tribulation, he's going to promote himself as the peace giver and and the, the charming, loving person. But halfway through, he will begin to reveal the evil that lies within him. He will demand that people worship him. He will go into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. He will sit upon the most holy spot there, and he will demand people to worship him. And if they don't worship him, they will be killed. Now, it's interesting as we study the Antichrist today, but just the devil in general, we know that the devil hates God. We all know that. But we also know that the devil is jealous of God, and he want, the devil wants to be God. That's why the devil became the devil. Before he was the devil, he was an angel in heaven, a beautiful angel. His name was Lucifer, and yet he came to a place in his life where he wanted to be worshipped by all the other angels, just like God was getting worshipped. So he rebelled against God. God kicked him out of heaven. A third of the angels were kicked out with him. Those became the fallen angels or the demons. And Lucifer became Satan, and he is the leader of that demonic band. And it's interesting that everything God does, the devil tries to replicate or duplicate. He wants to mimic God. So, for example, the song we just sang, God in Three Persons. We talk about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, none of us can understand the Trinity But we're all supposed to believe it. We believe as Christians there's one God, but He reveals Himself to us in three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I've said before, the best illustration I've ever heard about that is is that of an egg. Here if I had an egg in my hand, we would look at it and say, there is one egg. But that egg is made up of three different parts. There's the shell, there's the egg yolk, And there is the egg white. So three parts, but still just one egg. Well, in the 
uh, Trinity, it's kind of like that. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So in the underworld or in the demonic world, there is a satanic trinity. There is an unholy trinity. And it, we could just call it a bad egg, right? A rotten egg. And it is comprised of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Satan is the antithesis of God. The Antichrist is the antithesis of Jesus Christ. And the false prophet does in the unholy trinity what the Holy Spirit does in the real trinity. And that is the, the, the false prophet points people to the Antichrist. Just like the Holy Spirit is pointing people to Jesus. And as my dad mentioned at the first service, there were many who came forward and several who were saved. Had they get saved, the Holy Spirit convicted them and they came to Jesus Christ. Well, what the false prophet will do during the tribulation, he will perform signs and wonders and even miracles because Remember, Satan and the demons have power too. And in performing those miracles, he will convince people to follow the Antichrist. Now, what I had originally planned on doing today was to cover chapter 13 completely. The first half of the sermon on the Antichrist, the second half of the sermon on the false prophet. But I think it's too much. And so this morning, what I want to do is just to focus on the first 10 verses of this chapter. I want us to think exclusively on the Antichrist. I want us to go at a slow pace and try to really learn what the Bible is saying. So Revelation chapter 13 and in verse number 1, as we think about the Antichrist, we have to begin to ask ourselves this question, where is this per who is this person? When will he emerge onto the stage of history? Well, keep in mind, if the rapture is going to happen relatively soon, and by rapture I mean that time when Jesus calls all of us who are saved out of the earth and into heaven. We'll be caught up to meet him in the clouds, he'll take us to heaven and we'll be with him forever. So that's the rapture. And immediately after that is when this seven-year period of tribulation starts. So, if that's going to happen relatively soon, that means the Antichrist is somewhere on the earth today. He's living in the world somewhere today. He's in the shadows. Nobody knows he's the Antichrist. But one day he will reveal that's exactly who he is. The first question is, where will the Antichrist come from? Look in chapter 13 and verse number 1. John said, then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. So the Antichrist, he's referring to him as a beast here, but this is indeed the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to come up out of the sea. Now you say, well, does this mean the Antichrist is a sea creature? What, what, what is this? This is, this is somewhat strange. No, in the Bible, many times when you read about the sea, it is describing the mass of humanity. It's talking about, not the ocean, but it's talking about people. In fact, if you'll turn to chapter 17, we'll get to this eventually. But in verse number 15, I'll give you uh, a little insight, or the Scripture gives us insight on what the sea refers to. In 17:15, it says, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are people's multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so the waters or the sea is a reference to people. So the scripture is teaching us that the Antichrist is going to emerge just from the mass of humanity. He's going to be just living his life like we're living our lives. He will emerge on the stage and the Antichrist will become a political leader. That's what he'll be. He will be the political leader of the world. 
the false prophet will be a religious leader. Now think about the Antichrist. In order for him to become the world leader politically, he's going to have to be charismatic, intelligent, charming, all the things that it would take to be elected to an office like that. He'll have those qualities. The false prophet will be a little more reserved. He'll be a little, uh, a little more, we could say a little more laid back or just not the main guy. And what he will do through working signs and wonders is convince people, you better follow the Antichrist. He is the real deal. And it's interesting, we talk about Antichrist, and we think about the Antichrist as being someone who is anti-Christ. And he is. He's against Jesus. But there are some who say that that prefix anti can also be translated instead of. And so what the Antichrist will say, I am the true chosen one. Not Jesus Christ. He claimed to be the chosen one, but I am the true chosen one. We know that's a lie, but that is nonetheless what he will do. So he's going to rise out of the masses of humanity. Second question is, what will he do? I've already said he's going to become a political leader, but what will he do? Well, he is going to lead and listen to some of the descriptions the Bible gives us about the Antichrist. In the Old Testament, it says he will be a fierce king. In Daniel chapter 8 and verse 23, in the NIV, he is described as a master of intrigue. And so the Antichrist will be very, very intriguing. Something about him will capture people capture their minds and their attention. He's also described the prince who is to come, a vile person. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read that he is called the man of sin. And also in that same chapter, he is called the lawless one. And so the Antichrist is bad news, the man of sin, the lawless one. He is evil incarnate. That is who the Antichrist is. And the first thing he's going to do when he comes on the scene and establishes following is he is going to become the leader of the world. Now look at the second half of verse number one. It says that he will ha- he's having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. So what are these seven heads and ten horns? Well, the seven heads refer to the seven world empires of human history. By the word head, you're thinking about the leader or somebody who's in charge, or we would say this person is the head of this business or head of this industry. So when the seven heads is a reference to the seven uh, world leaders. Now think about who these seven world empires have been. Even if you're not necessarily a student of the Bible, if you're a student of history, you remember that the seven or the six world empires have been the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks under Alexander the Great, and then the Romans. And so up until this point, there have been six world empires. Now, what is a world empire? It is an empire that rules the world. Since the Roman Empire fell, The world has not had an empire. There is no world empire today. America is the strongest nation in the world, and we 
uh, believe as Americans, the greatest nation in the world, but we're not an empire. We don't rule the world, even though sometimes it may sound like we're trying to do that. We, we can't. We don't rule the world. The Chinese, they have their leader. The Japanese have their leader. The Russians have their leader. And the Americans, we have our leader. There's not been a world empire since the Roman Empire. But when the Antichrist comes onto the stage of human history during the tribulation, he will lead the seventh world empire. And so when it says having seven heads, that's what it's talking about. He is the seventh empire and he has the power of the previous six. And then it says 10 horns. Now in the Bible, when you read about horns, that is frequently a, a symbol of strength and power. And so during the tribulation, evidently what's going to happen, the antichrist is going to divide the world into 10 districts or 10 regions, or 10 zones, and he's going to put a leader over each district, but they will all answer to the Antichrist. And so you can see the power that this person will have during the tribulation period. Ten uh, horns talk about these 10 districts, and he'll be over all that. And it says, and on his horns, 10 crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous name. He's always blaspheming God. Now, look in verse number 2. It says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. So the Antichrist is empowered by the dragon. But who is the dragon? Well, go back to chapter 12. And we've seen this a few weeks ago, but it doesn't hurt to refresh our memory. In chapter 12, in verse 3, the dragon, by the way, is a reference to Satan. It says, and another angel appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon. And then it, another sign appeared in heaven, rather, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars out of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So the dragon there is a clear reference to Satan, how he was cast out of heaven. He was the ultimate fallen angel. Okay, so you have the dragon, the antichrist, and the false prophet. And it is the dragon who's empowering the antichrist. So the first thing he will do, he will lead the world. The second thing he will do, he will demand to be worshipped. That is, what the, that is what the devil has always wanted. He has wanted to receive worship. Look in verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world mar marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, for three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And then it says, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so the Antichrist is going to demand to be worshipped. And we read here that he's going to have a wound that will come upon his head. 
and that he will die from this wound. Now, as we study this deadly wound, and then he's going to come back to life, it's interesting, as you study different Bible scholars on this, some say he's not really killed. It appeared that though he was been killed, it was a false death, promoting a false resurrection. Satan is trying to look like God by raising the dead to life, and so some people say he was not literally killed. Other scholars, and in fact, I think most scholars, I'm not a scholar, but I would be in, in agreement with these scholars, say that the Antichrist actually will be killed during the tribulation. And then Satan, who himself has incredible power, will bring the Antichrist back to life again. And so we do have in the tribulation, my understanding of this is that it is literal. When it talks about a deadly wound, it is a deadly wound. And Satan, who has the power to work signs and wonders, these are not tricks. These are not this is not, he's not like a magician where it's a hand or, you know, sleight of hand. It's actually real miracles, but it's satanically inspired. And he will bring the Antichrist back from death to life. What is the significance of this? Satan knows what happened with Jesus on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. And upon his resurrection, many began to follow Jesus. So Satan is thinking, if somehow the Antichrist can be killed, and then I can raise him back to life again with my satanic powers, then he can gain a larger following too. And that is precisely what will be happening here. And so he will demand to be worshipped, and he will be worshipped. The third thing that's gonna, that the Antichrist is going to do, and we just read this, he's going to kill many Christians. Kill many of the Christians. Uh, now, we know that the 144,000 Jews who will get saved will be supernaturally protected by God, but not all Christians will have that protection. Many will be killed, and that's what's going to happen. But then ultimately, we know that the Antichrist himself will be killed. Look in verse 9. John says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. And so John is saying, now who is the one leading into captivity? The Antichrist. Who is the one killing with the sword? The Antichrist. John says there's coming a day when the one who has led others into captivity will himself be taken into captivity. The one who has killed many with the sword will himself be killed with the sword. What goes around comes around, and it's coming around on the Antichrist. Now, go to chapter 19. I want to show you how it's coming around. And when we get further into our study, we'll come to the Battle of Armageddon, and that's one of the most fascinating passage of Scripture in all the Bible, the battle of Armageddon is a battle that will one day be fought after the seven-year period of tribulation. Jesus Christ will leave heaven to come back to the earth, the second coming of Christ. He will set up His kingdom on the earth, but before He sets up His kingdom, He is going to destroy those who have blasphemed and rejected Him. He's going to punish them for their sins. Now, we'll already be in heaven with Jesus at the rapture from the rapture of the church on. So when Jesus comes back, we'll be following Him back to the earth. And we'll get into all that later. But look in verse 11 because it's a great description. John said, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That is a reference to us 
those of us who've been saved. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. And so at the second coming of Christ, at the battle of Armageddon, here's Jesus on his horse, and out of his mouth is a sharp sword. John is using descriptive language here. Maybe it will be a literal sword with a blade, as we think of a sword, or maybe this is a reference to the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, what does it say? The Word of God is living and, power and, and active and sharper than any two-edged what? Two-edged sword. And so the Antichrist, who has killed with the sword, will now be killed by the sword, either a literal sword coming out of Jesus' mouth or the Word of God. One pastor says that he believes it is a reference to the Word of God and that when Jesus leaves heaven and comes back to the earth, he's going to look the Antichrist in the face and he's going to say two words, drop dead, and it's all over with right there. So we don't know what Jesus will say, but he's going to speak a word and the Antichrist will be finished. Now look in verse 19. John said, and I saw the beast. This is a reference to the Antichrist. The kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. We're going to get into the mark of the beast the next time we study this together. And it says these two, that is the Antichrist and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. That's a reference to hell. So at the battle of Armageddon, when Jesus comes back, what's he going to do? He's going to take the Antichrist and the false prophet. When I said he's, you know, he's going to say drop dead, yet there's a sense in which they will be dead, but they'll be eternally dead in hell because when you go to hell, just like when you go to heaven, you remain alive. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But it's good for me to say now is when a person dies, the only thing that dies is that person's body. That person's soul does not die. Bodies die. Souls don't die. Bodies are mortal. Souls are immortal. Bodies are temporary. Souls are eternal. And even the Antichrist and even the false prophet, when they're defeated by Jesus, will be sent to hell where they will burn forever and ever and ever. And yet they'll never die. It's called the second death. And it lasts forever, and it's eternal, it's agony, it's why nobody ought to go to hell, because there's no way out, and there's no second chance, and you don't even die. It's not even annihilationism. You wish it would be annihilationism, but indeed it's not, because people will live forever and be punished there. The point I'm making here is, at the Battle of Armageddon, we discover one tremendous truth about God, and that is, His sword is stronger than the devil's sword. You see, the devil is stronger than us, but God is stronger than the devil. And that's why the scripture says, greater is he who's living in you than he who's living in the world. If we have Jesus living in us, think about this, through Christ, we can overcome the devil. And we've been studying that for the last two weeks. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Well, we're going to have to stop right there for today. And as we think about the Antichrist and how evil and powerful and cunning he will be, and as we think about Satan himself, it, it can be very intimidating to think that this is our enemy. Satan is the one who is trying to destroy our lives, to discourage us, to defeat us, and, and to ruin us in any way he can. And yet the Bible does say that it is possible for us to have victory over the devil because greater is the one living in us, that is Jesus Christ, than the one who is living in the world. And so as we come to a close today, I just want to encourage you in your uh, daily life, in your walk of faith, 
that even though the devil does everything he can to damage and hurt all of us, that if we will place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not only for our salvation, but for every battle that we face in life, if we'll just make the, the declaration of our faith, I'm trusting Jesus, whatever comes against us, whatever we face in life, our initial response is, I'm trusting Jesus, then we will begin to have victory over the devil. Because I think about what the scripture says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So the first thing I would encourage you to do today is just trust Jesus right now. Trust him with whatever you're going through. And the second thing I would encourage you to do is to learn how to use the word of God in your battle with the enemy. The scripture says that the Bible is our sword. It's the only offensive weapon we have in our battle with the devil. And so many times in my life, for example, I'll have to take a verse. The devil sometime will get in my head or in my ears and he'll start saying, John, you can't do this or you can't do that. And I have to just respond and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And as I say those words, it's like there's power coming out of my mouth. And so I encourage you today, trust the Lord, use the sword of his word, and he will give you victory over the enemy. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message, along with many others, on our website, peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. Thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to you joining us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.